Hello, hello, and welcome to the Love Doctor Podcast, research-informed advice that can lubricate any conversation about sex. My name is Leah Tidy, and I'm glad to have you here. Today on the show, I answer your questions about exploring our bodies and pleasure, even in conservative countries, and how to keep a spark alive even while you're doing a PhD. I also share my interview with Steph and Caitlin, the creative entrepreneurs behind Les See the World. I've been following this incredible married lesbian couple for quite a while now, and not going to lie, I was a little starstruck when they agreed to do an interview with me. It is a hilarious and heartfelt interview, and I can't wait for you to hear it. But first, Today in Sex. Before we get to Today in Sex, I just want to give you a heads up about why my voice is sounding so weird. I developed some cold symptoms over the last few days, and I am actually waiting to get a COVID test later this week because that was the first available appointment in the city that I'm living in right now. My fingers are crossed that it is not COVID-19, but you better believe that I am self-isolating. I'm spending all of my time at home right now, and uh, the thing that is giving me comfort is creating this podcast. I even had to edit out me coughing quite a few times uh, and taking sips of water, but otherwise I am doing fine and I'm really excited to share this episode with you. So now, back to Today in Sex. Everyone in my family is starting to send me sex-related info and resources, and honestly, it's awesome. My sister even bought me a plant pot with boobs on it, and it came with a tiny succulent. The best part is, she got it in a B-cup, so it looks just like me. Now, even my older brother has been sending me stuff, and the latest one is about Big Mouth, the animated Netflix series by Nick Kroll, all about being a teenager and going through those awkward phases of puberty with our hormone monsters. For those who haven't seen it, I cannot recommend it enough. It pushes the boundaries constantly, and it even makes me blush sometimes, but it's outrageous and it's hilarious, and the portrayal of puberty and exploring sexuality, it's honestly so refreshing and groundbreaking. What my brother was telling me, though, is that Big Mouth has created an eight-chapter sex education book called The Guide to Life, and you can access this right on their Instagram page. The book is accessible, hilarious, and it actually just won an Emmy. The topics include body image, social media addiction, periods, sexuality, sex and masturbation, consent, toxic masculinity, and mental health. Now, while the show does an awesome job of addressing each of these topics through comedy, the guide to life is explicitly created for teens and is exactly the kind of sex ed I wish was available to me when I was going through puberty and trying to figure out you know, like what the hell was going on with my body at that time. And it shows like Big Mouth that are making it into the mainstream that that gives me hope for the future. Sex ed doesn't have to be preachy or laden with shame and fear, but rather it can have gut-wrenching humor and it can just highlight how wonderful and wacky human sexuality is. If I were John Green on the Anthropocene Reviewed, you'd bet that I give Big Mouth's Guide to Life five stars. And now, let's get to your calls. This caller sent me an email and asked that since English is their second language and that they want to ensure their anonymity, they asked me to get someone to read it on their behalf. So thank you to my dear friend Kate, who agreed to read out this caller's question. Hello, Leah. I've wanted to write you since the first episode of the podcast. First, thank you very much for all the hard work you put in your episodes. They are extraordinary. For me, it's been amazing to have this safe space, especially for what I'm going to tell you next. I live in Ecuador, Latin America. 
a very conservative and mostly strict Catholic country. There is such a huge taboo regarding sex and everything it includes. Although we get some, but almost no sex education in high school, and it's clearly not enough. I'm 28, and because of my conservative Hispanic Catholic background, I have never felt comfortable masturbating, performing, or receiving oral sex, and I do not own any type of sex toys. There are a few stores, and getting inside is viewed as a sin, which is something very common among people around here. I have an eight-year relationship with my husband, and I feel so eager to learn different positions, types of stimulation, because it is very hard to reach climax, if ever, by only penetration. But I can't shake the feeling of being guilty, or even ashamed, even to talk to my husband about it. We work together at home, and I feel the need to secretly read or hear this podcast, for instance. So my question is, do you have any tips regarding this stigma or taboo in conservative communities? And how can I discover my own body without the need to hide it? Thanks so much, Leah. Thank you so much for sending in your question. And thanks again, Kate, because that was just great. First off, this week on the podcast, I share my interview with Steph and Caitlin, and even though your situation is different with your husband, I think there will be a lot of good insight into practicing communication with partners. I've done my best to get some really good resources for you as well, and once you've heard the episode, you may want to share it with your husband to start opening up that conversation. I know how scary and vulnerable it can be to have these open conversations, even with your spouse. I wonder if he is also interested and eager in exploring things with you. It might be difficult for him as well, and I hope that I can arm you with the tools to slowly open up that dialogue and for both of you to start exploring your pleasure more fully. Now, if we can name our shame, we can actually take away some of its power over us. A huge component of my doctoral work was about sexual shame, and unfortunately, religion, in particular Catholicism, it has a huge part to play in how we understand our bodies, and it's that little voice in our heads telling us to, to hide or to shy away from exploring ourselves. Too often we're taught that sex is bad and we should feel shame around it before we're married. And then magically you get married and that night you're supposed to feel the complete opposite and you're supposed to enjoy having sex with your spouse. But if you've never had an open conversation about what you like, what you want to explore then how can you be expected to know what to say or do until you get into that marital bed? Our systems are set up for folks with vulvas in particular to police our sexuality and to safeguard it until we get married. And then we're supposed to love sex or at least tolerate it for the sake of our spouses. I don't know how that's supposed to lay the groundwork for a successful marriage. So let's just break that down. First, it can take a lot of work to start unpacking our own shame about our bodies and about what society has told us. In any relationship, it can be hard to fully communicate what you like, and a big part of that is not feeling comfortable masturbating or pleasuring ourselves. So I know, Caller, you said that's difficult because obviously you and your husband live together and then also work together at home, but being able to masturbate and to know what feels good for your body and what brings pleasure will allow you to communicate with your husband about the things that you want to explore. I mean, you could even do it where the two of you masturbate together because for a lot of folks, it can be really hot to watch our partner or partners touch themselves and to know what it is that they like. 
I also know there's totally that cliche of like taking a mirror and like holding it up to your vulva so you can get to know it better. But seriously, you should know how your body is designed and know that it's there also to bring you pleasure. Of course, I can't change the conservative community that you're a part of, but I'm hoping that you, caller, you can carve out a space in your own home where you can embrace your body. Several episodes ago, I talk about the book Pussy by Mama Regina, and while that book is somewhat problematic to me, she has some really great advice about treating yourself and your body as an honored guest. She asked the folks who are reading the book, presumably folks who have pussies, to take some time and to prepare your house or a meal as if the most important person in the world is coming over for dinner. Now, a part of that is not only getting some beautiful foods or, or cleaning the house in preparation for this supposed guest that's coming over, but also a part of that is preparing yourself. Because, hint, the honored guest, it's you. You're the one who's going to be in this body for your entire life. And so you should have an understanding of how it works and should honor it and all of the amazing things that it does. What I love is that she recommends taking a bath or as some way of pampering yourself and just touching and getting to know every inch of your body and find out what feels good. You can celebrate that that this body is yours and that means that it's up to you how you use it, how you feel it, and how you experience pleasure. Now for myself, because I'm a big research nerd, I looked into the research about the lack of education resources for folks in Ecuador, and that is particularly for folks with vulvas. The great thing is that we are living in a digital age, and the internet for many of us can be a wonderful resource to find out things and to build a sense of community. This is also what I'm hoping that this podcast can do, is to act as a gateway to those different resources that we can access and know that I have done all that I can to make sure that these resources are reliable and accessible. So this is what I found. In Ecuador, there are pretty progressive laws, but there's a difference between de facto and de jure. That means that there's a difference between what is in the law versus what is actually upheld and offered to folks. In fact, according to Child Family Health International, Ecuador is one of the few Latin American countries to explicitly guarantee sexual and reproductive health rights and to provide free emergency contraception. In 1998, it even passed the free maternity law providing free health care for pregnant women and newborns. Now, despite these progressive laws, tensions persist given the predominantly Catholic and largely socially conservative nature of the country. So just as you say, caller, social conservatism and religion, they play a major role in the sexual health messaging we receive. Even though, I will say, the Pope recently came out saying that sex should be about pleasure and shouldn't be subject to, and I quote, overzealous morality. So yeah, pull that out next time someone's like, oh no, God or the Pope doesn't want us to explore sexuality. It's like, oh no, the Pope said sex is about pleasure. I also found some articles specifically addressing sexual and reproductive rights in Ecuador so I could get a better understanding of the context. So here are just a few things that I found out, and of course, all articles are linked in the episode description. First, and this can be true anywhere around the world, that when there isn't access to sexual health resources and there's limited knowledge about our bodies and our sexuality, there are higher rates of sexually transmitted infections, there are more unplanned pregnancies, and more folks having to undergo illegal and often dangerous abortions. 
these are the larger risks, but that also means that we often, we don't have the language to discuss our sexuality and we aren't empowered to make choices that are best for us. Also, gender inequity is a big issue in Ecuador and in far too many places around the world, to be honest. Now, while using gender binary language, this one article discusses how women's autonomy is limited by men and how gender-based violence is an ongoing issue. I sincerely hope that this is not the case for you, caller, but I want to recognize that if we are receiving messages that normalize female passivity and male aggression, then we can start to believe it ourselves. This is where I think the next resource may be of some help in figuring out how to open up that dialogue. The Rights, Respect, and Responsibility curriculum from the Advocates for Youth website, it's a really great resource that's available in English and Spanish. In particular, the let's talk about sex part, it gives us an overview of how to be assertive when we're talking about sexuality and explores the differences between aggressive, passive, and assertive communication. Now, the curriculum and the lesson plans, they're for students between the ages of 5 and 18, but it's also so helpful for folks at any age, and it outlines the education that any of us can benefit from, even if it's just a refresher. What's also great is that these lesson plans use drama and role play throughout, which is basically what my education was all about. If we can offer opportunities to to practice these conversations and to see how they play out, then we can actually be better prepared for when these situations arise in our own lives. So caller, do you have someone who you trust that you can talk to? It can be difficult to broach the subject with our sexual partners, especially if that hasn't been a part of the relationship previously. This is where a close friend or a relative or someone like that can step in. Because if you do have someone that you trust that you can start to have these conversations with, I recommend practicing these conversations so that when it comes time to have the real ones, it can be a little bit easier. I know that that's difficult since you and your husband both work from home, but even texting or having a phone call practice, it might make you feel a bit more prepared. Lastly, you are already on the right track by seeking information, and I hope that these resources can inspire further curiosity for you and your husband. Let's take another call. So this is actually a question that somebody commented on my Instagram post, and I just thought it was a great way to open up this conversation. So here it is. I've just started my PhD and so has my partner, and we're constantly exhausted from the amount of work. And because we live a low-waste lifestyle, all our extra energy ends up going towards preparing food, compost, etc., I was wondering if you could speak to how you're able to maintain relationship excitement and momentum, both in and out of the bedroom, while you were working on your PhD and while continuing to maintain sustainable habits that tend to take a little extra energy. That is a great question. For me, when I was doing my PhD, I really had to treat it like a job. Grad school is made out to be the most important thing. And this is not to belittle anyone who is pursuing grad school. Obviously, I think it's worthwhile because I went through and did my PhD. But it is, especially in that time, it's your job. So creating boundaries about when you're actually working on it and when you're not, that was the most important thing. For me, I know that my most productive hours are in the morning, so that means I will even wake up early and work hard all day, but by five or six o'clock, I'm done working. I am done. I know that none of my good work is going to be coming out then, and that's time where Levi and I can reconnect. We can 
we can get grounded again and return to our relationship as a thing that we're also working on constantly. I think there's a lot of expectations about grad school and that it needs to absolutely consume your life. And yes, it can feel so overwhelming because not only is it research that you are conducting, something that you are really passionate about, but that's what academia is constantly telling us, that you need to work harder, do more, publish more, and it's exhausting. And on top of that, living a low-waste lifestyle, that is something that can be difficult. For Levi and I, in terms of trying to balance both, is that we love to cook together. So every morning and every evening, we cook breakfast and we cook dinner together. So for us, that's a way to reconnect, to talk about our days, to have some time where it's just the two of us. But we also just love cooking. And I feel like that may be a good way of bringing those two things together because we're really aware of what we're cooking and what we're preparing. But at the same time, maybe that's like our love language. It's like the cooking together. What would that be called? Like acts of service or something? But that is something that we do together that brings together our sustainability goals and the lifestyle that we've chosen to lead, but also gives us time to check in with each other after a long day. I should probably get Levi back on the podcast for a follow-up interview because this is only my experience. And folks, you seem to have a lot of questions about our relationship. Totally understandable. If I'm going to be doling out sex advice, you'd kind of want to know about my relationship. So if you're interested, maybe I can lure Levi back onto the podcast so we can get a bit more in-depth into our relationship and our experience of not only grad school, but also marriage and our relationship as a whole. One thing I will say, though, in terms of sustainability and having a sustainable lifestyle is something that Levi and I talk about a lot on his channel, and it's about making sustainable choices that are also good for you and the planet. I will also say that by setting aside the evenings and also at least one full day on the weekend, not a half day, one full day on the weekend where neither of us work, that's awesome. And that works both in and outside of the bedroom because I know you were interested about that collar. That definitely works because we like to do things together, such as gardening or going for a bike ride. But then also we're feeling revitalized and we have the energy. Instead of standing side by side and looking out at the work that we're doing together, we're able to take that day to turn towards each other and to really honor all of the work that both of us do, but also how we have worked really hard to honor the relationship that we have. And hey, honoring each other's bodies, that's a part of that. Okay, so the last thing we're going to do before we get to the interview is do our little feedback section. As I mentioned in the last episode, if you have feedback for me and this podcast, I would love to hear it. It doesn't only have to be positive. It can be that I've missed something or maybe you want me to talk about a certain thing. So if you have feedback, you can either leave a review or send me a message on Instagram at dr.leatidy. Today, we're keeping it short and sweet with someone who gave the podcast five stars. They say, Leah is an amazing human who creates content that allows for shameless exploration of delicate topics. Keep being amazing. I mean, amazing feels like a bit much, but I really like how you say about shameless exploration of delicate topics. Yes, that is, a, should that be like the new tagline of the show? Maybe. Thank you so much. And again, if you have feedback for the show, don't hesitate to leave a comment or even send me a voice memo to the Love Doctor Podcast at gmail.com. 
And now I am so stoked to share my interview with Steph and Caitlin from Les See the World. It was such a pleasure chatting with these two, and it is so evident the depth of love and respect that these two have for each other. They are not only creative entrepreneurs, but they also are so open and even were willing to talk to me about their sex life and answer your questions, even some of the raunchy ones. But don't take my word for it. Hear it for yourself now. I am with Steph and Caitlin. I am in their house right now. We're six <laughs> feet apart. We're very responsible. Everyone who's listening, don't worry. And I have this cool earbud in so I can like hear. I'm very keenly aware of my voice. <laughs> it's very weird. Right? I'm glad I'm not keenly aware of my voice because I hear it back on recordings and I'm just like, is that what I sound like every time on, or on video? Is that what my voice sounds like all the time? Isn't that the weirdest part about mm-hmm. like curating and creating an online presence is yeah. having to see yourself yes. and your... I don't want to say like the product, but you are kind of like, yeah, you're absolutely. like, how do I package this? Yeah. And so maybe that would be like a good way to start if you want to, like, what's the elevator pitch of like what the two of you do, but then also what is that like? Like now you're doing a podcast, you get yeah. to like hear your voices, but you also see <laughs> yourselves constantly in the work that you do. Yeah. So we are a married lesbian couple from Vancouver, Canada, and we run a travel and lifestyle brand that's centered around our life as a married lesbian couple. We usually travel full-time, although this year, of course, has been different. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, But we have a presence on Instagram. Um, We also have a blog. And yeah, we're dabbling in new mediums. This is our first podcast we're very excited about. Um, And we're also dabbling in video and hopefully going to get into YouTube in the future. Mm -hmm. And yeah, just kind of curating a full online brand. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) listeners you can't see the most adorable look I've been like like you did it you crushed it that's exactly what we do (laughs) well she does the writing so in you know with things like this I feel like yeah I explain what we do a lot in writing and I feel like you don't yeah you don't know I know what we do (laughs) sort of most days but you're not usually the one explaining it yeah that's true yeah (laughs) that's true but yeah it's an interesting job because I mean, I come from a modeling and performing background, so Mm -hmm. I had kind of curated an online presence personally before this. Your background is more kind of behind the camera, so I think it's been more of an adjustment for you in terms of being the face of a brand. Definitely. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I come from a a video and film background, so and photography, so I'm very used to being behind the camera and Mm -hmm. behind the scenes technically. So it's an interesting thing to do that as well as be in front of the camera, Mm -hmm. and Definitely in terms of my comfort level, yeah, um, I'm much more comfortable behind the scenes. Yeah. Uh, but you've become so much more comfortable. Yeah, and also it's not me alone. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. a big part mm-hmm. of it. So when in doubt, you know, I will look at Caitlin and <laughs> <laughs> give her a smile, or I don't know. It's it's always a lot easier interacting with someone, yeah, uh, mm-hmm. than kind of doing it by yourself because you're a lot less aware of it just being you on For, a yeah. camera. Yeah. Whereas it's oh well, it's a candid moment of us. Totally. You know, snuggling or talking or just yeah. being ourselves. So yeah. Definitely. Well, that's actually something I was going to ask about, like, what I've kind of found in my own experience is that I had basically no online presence before I started dating Levi. Yeah. And even now, I, I always get a bit weird saying, like, partner or husband. Like, I spent so long saying partner, so now I'm like, husband? <laughs> it's, it's so weird. still feels weird two years later. But yeah, like, I found that was a really interesting journey for me is that even though, like, both of us have performing backgrounds, like, we mm-hmm. both went to theater school, my theater school was entirely about how do you create a space for other people to be heard and you just use theater as, like, 
your medium. Right. And so now that I'm like, so really I'm interested in like sexual health and sexuality. How do I just like use those skills to do that? Right. But it was, it was hard, right. To make that leap. And so what I'm really interested in is knowing as well is like that experience of how did you come to the idea of creating Let's See the World? Mm -hmm. And then also how, how is that for like your relationship and curating that, you know, professionally, but then also like personally? Yeah. Yeah. So we got married at the end of 2015 and in 2016, right after the wedding and our honeymoon, we kind of went back to our regular life, which at the time we were living in Niagara Falls, Ontario. And I was working a full-time performing contract and you were doing photography contracts and we were just kind of like freelancing and we went back to work and just thought like, I don't know, I don't know if this is what married life <laughs> is going to be for yeah. us. Like, I think yeah. maybe it's time to make changes and move on. And we talked for a long time about wanting to travel full-time and work for ourselves. And it just felt like a really good time to make the leap. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, within a few months we had ended our contracts and packed up our house and rented it out and decided to just be on the road full time. And the idea of Let's See the World was kind of born around that time. We did a couple of cross country road trips that summer and started our Instagram presence, I think around that time. And then it kind of built into a business over the next couple of years. It wasn't Mm. until probably 2018 that we really got serious about building it as a long-term business because we really just saw a lack of representation for queer women in the travel space and we mm-hmm. just thought yeah there's such a need here for especially lesbian women traveling and talking about lesbian friendly destinations and like what that looks like and what that means and all the different considerations for queer women and travel and we got really passionate about like carving out that niche and filling it and helping people and yeah it really was kind of born from us looking and seeking out information that and just wasn't, it wasn't, wasn't there. there and yeah. so when we were traveling to all these different countries or looking to travel to countries we would look up the laws and look up public opinion and and certain extra considerations one has to make as a lesbian or someone in a same-sex relationship and you know there were there were articles and things for you know gay male party spots and things like that or the like mm-hmm. gay scene or, or clubs but nothing specifically for female same-sex relationships and so we started compiling that information and thought that well if we're looking for this information other people probably are too too. and they were because when we started putting it out we got a lot of really great feedback from people who were also looking for the same information so yeah Um, right it's almost like lesbian lonely planet yeah like you're like this is what this is what we do and I think that's like when I first started following the two of you which was well over a year ago to be honest and so I think really at that point, I've talked about this in the podcast before about identifying as bi and then really, really feeling a sense to like reclaim that identity after I got married because it felt very erased. People are like, oh, like you're straight. Now you're going to make babies. I'm like, uh, it's like a bit more complex than that. (laughs) Um, And it was something that like, you know, like Levi and I like love to travel, but we totally have, you know, I'm straight passing so we can just walk through the world and not have to think about that and think about the laws when you go to a place. Like it's, I find that so amazing that you saw that need in the world and that you've just really you've created like such an amazing resource. Like when I like go to your blog, like you see like how many places you've been and to talk about it so honestly, like from your own, like you've clearly done the research and done that yourself, but also from your own personal experience. Like what, 
I'm thinking like about like those challenges as well. Like would have been scary to start that whole journey and to travel to places not knowing what that would be like. Yeah, I mean, because we want to speak honestly about our experiences, that also means being out everywhere we go. Because we can't write about a destination and how safe it is and what people think unless we go and we really truly experience it as queer women. Because Mm -hmm. we are both very straight passing as well. And there are plenty of times where if we didn't feel safe, we could just not hold hands or not be open and, and people wouldn't think that we're a couple. Our relationship defines our sexuality outwardly but only when we choose to make it public which is a massive privilege obviously and we try and talk about that a lot on our platform as well is being aware of that privilege and knowing that we can do that if we need to but we really try not to because we want to fully experience a destination and know what is it really like is it Mm. safe like talk to the locals find out how they feel about it how they feel about two women versus two men versus you know the whole community and and yeah, it's really fascinating, and I don't think we've ever felt unsafe, really. Yeah. There are some times where I'll be like, oh, Steph, maybe like tone it down a little for having a conversation with someone where I'm like, I don't right. know there, there how are this a couple is going to go. Um, in Central America, um, I speak some Spanish, so mm. I was having conversations with I with can't people fully understand. I'm really just like, <laughs> I can feel the tension. I don't really know what they're saying, but I'm worried. <laughs> One of the times was in a taxi in Panama City, mm-hmm. and... It was really interesting because I, you know, you want to challenge people when they say things that are that you know you you find a bit yeah uncomfortable. Um, so, for example, this this driver was talking about how for us it was okay that we were in a lesbian relationship because we look like women, but if we looked like men, it wouldn't be okay. And, you know, the people, his friends in Panama City, they're not okay with it. They're not okay with homosexuality. They think it's wrong. He seemed to give us a pass personally because of the way we look. And so I was trying to challenge him a little bit on that while also recognizing (laughs) the fact that he's driving us somewhere and we're in this car with him. So obviously I'm not going to get into an argument and put us in an unsafe position. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But also... How often is this guy having a conversation with an out lesbian couple from Canada? Yeah. So trying to give him, you know, a bit of insight as to how things are in our country or other places in the world. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it's interesting. So I I definitely, we look to have those conversations when it's safe to do so. Mm -hmm. We look to, you know, be visible when it's safe to do so. So we're always aware of our safety, but... I mean, as women, we are anyway. That's true. Right? Like, I think any... Any women who travel are, are used to doing... I mean, we do all the same things that we would do if we weren't a couple just because traveling as a woman, that there's a certain reality that comes along with that. But yeah, yeah mm-hmm. we do try and have those conversations and we obviously we always look up the laws and we typically do choose destinations based on how queer-friendly they are. We haven't really been anywhere, I don't think, where homosexuality is still criminalized. We mostly choose destinations that are more welcoming because being from Canada, that's what we're used to. And we don't mm-hmm. want to step back into the closet if we don't have to. And we really like promoting those destinations as well. Because I think people have it in their heads that so much of the world is still really intolerant. And there obviously are lots of places where that is the case. But there are also lots of places where that's not the case anymore. And things are really mm-hmm. changing. And laws are changing. And people's minds are changing. And it it is really fun for us to share destinations where people might not even know. Like we went to... South America and spent some time in Uruguay Mm -hmm. and I wouldn't have known that Uruguay is like one of the most queer friendly countries in the world based on their laws 
I was like, that's yeah. awesome. Like, I want people to know that because mm-hmm. that's something that I found so surprising. And so we try to share destinations like that and kind of base our travel choosing destinations. I mean, mm-hmm. this year, obviously, we're just in Canada now. Yeah. <laughs> things are things are different. But yeah. thank goodness you're in BC, though. Like of, of all the places to have been. Totally, here. we're happy to be stuck here. Yes. Of all the places to be stuck. Yeah, no complaints. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah it's interesting with um, traveling being an out lesbian because I before we met just before we met I was in South America on a four-month solo trip and it's interesting because I didn't look up any laws I didn't even think about it because I was going alone Mm -hmm. and I met a guy in probably the first week uh, of my trip in Santiago and we ended up traveling together for probably a month and he is an openly gay man from San Francisco and he had found all of these places to go clubs he had connected with people online he That's so cool. he met up with all these these guys and it was so interesting because i thought i i didn't look up anything i didn't look up clubs i didn't look up you know where the lesbian scene was i just knew that i was going and i was just going to travel around and knowing that people wouldn't assume i was gay mm. because i am straight passing it was nothing to worry about Whereas when we travel as a couple... It's totally different. It's totally different. Yeah. And I think I think for a lot of straight-passing lesbians and queer women, that's probably the case. They don't necessarily consider the laws unless they're in a relationship and being visible. Yeah. Whereas for gay men, I think, as a generalization, I don't know for sure, but I would assume that men are a bit more interested in finding the scene. Yeah, going mm-hmm. out and... But right. there also is more of a scene. True. Yeah. So... What's well, a more, like, something that we had talked about, like, before when we were first, like, getting to know each other... Yeah. ...is there's almost, like, this, like, pyramid of, like, social acceptability yes. in bunny ears, people who are listening. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, right, like, it seems to be, a, like, the top of this pyramid. It's, like, cis, white, gay men yeah. are the most, like, visible in the media that we consume. Yeah, totally. And when we think, you know, if you're to say, like, gay or queer, that's probably one of the first things that a lot of people would come to mind, especially if you're not a part of that community. And it's just so interesting, too, that, like, you know, as women who are traveling, but also queer women, it's like, okay, so we already have to think about safety. Like, that's something you think about even when you live in your own city. I don't care where you live, if you're, you know, a person with a vulva, if you think about your safety all all the time. And it's something that you often if you are like a cis dude you wouldn't think about it and this is obviously in terms of your sexual orientation that would change but so interesting that that this guy was like oh yeah i'm gonna look it up because i want to go to gay clubs and i can imagine you being like uh i didn't know if there even was a scene like you said like that resource wouldn't have been available yeah i mean even four years ago when we started traveling all the information we found whether it was in a magazine or a blog that someone had written, all of it was gay men. And yeah, yeah, where the clubs are and where the scene is for gay men and Mm -hmm. where the kind of cruising spots are for gay men and where the gay-friendly hotels are for gay men. All of it was for men. And we just thought, we're not looking for the same things that they're looking for, especially as a married couple, like in a monogamous relationship. Like, we're not looking for, like, the scene to go out and date or cruise or whatever. Like, we just want to know if we can hold hands in public. We just want to know if we can book a hotel room with one bed and have people, you know, treat us respectfully. Like, that's what we want to know. And that information just wasn't out there. Right. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, still now, there there is a lot more now, but even still, it's obviously dominated by men just because everything Mm -hmm. is... As Levi famously said, the patriarchy is everywhere, everywhere. right? (laughs) Right. 
But I wonder what's that has been like. I mean, like the traveling. I know Levi and I get this question a lot. Not you know very like different in like the kind of content that that we create, but mm-hmm. about working together and like being together a lot of the time. Yeah. And also your relationship being your social currency. Yeah. Right. So what has that been like? I mean, like traveling, always interesting as a couple. It's great. <laughs> yeah. You learn a lot. Yeah. Uh, but then also having that be your job. Like what has that, you know, how has that played out in your relationship? Yeah. I think it's a balancing act all the time. Yeah. And it definitely took a little while to really figure out what works the best. Yeah. And I think, I mean, we're very, very different people. <laughs> and we talk about how we balance each other out well yeah and so it it actually ended up that we found that we brought different things to the table in our business as well as our our relationship so once we kind of carved out specific duties yeah and that different really roles, yeah. rather than always collaborating because I think we both enjoy working independently obviously mm-hmm. it is a collaboration what we do but we really do actually differentiate like who does what and yeah, like Steph does all of our video, I do all of our writing, and like we we talk about it, but like we mostly <laughs> leave those roles and like let the other person do their thing, mm-hmm. and that has really helped. And then we come together when we need to, and obviously we strategize about the business, and there are things like when we're taking photos and like doing content that involves the two of us, obviously we do that together, but we really do spend a lot of time apart working on it, and I think that mm-hmm. really helps. Yeah, I think it's important to have ownership over those roles because... Yeah. Um, you know, there are things that I do that you know nothing about. Exactly. And vice versa. Yeah. And it's nice. It's nice to have that responsibility that's 100% mine yeah. and 100% yours. Yeah. I definitely, once we found that kind of balance, things started working a lot more smoothly. And then just finding a balance between living our life online, but also living a life for us and keeping some things just for us and mm-hmm. making sure that we're setting boundaries in our life so that we're not always on our phones and we're not always online and we spend time you know in our community and interacting with people because that's one of our favorite parts but we also spend time turning it all off and making Mm -hmm. sure that we have quality time for one another where we're not thinking about work not talking about work that's so hard (laughs) we're always talking about work. we definitely found that being deliberate in our personal lives and being deliberate in our work lives we're more efficient when it comes to the work stuff and then we know okay we're putting it away this is us time yeah um that differentiation is huge that balance it is it's really hard to to find though and i find when you're on vacation or whichever yeah. else like I know sometimes it's like oh we're really enjoying ourselves should I be filming this right they're like we seem really happy right now yeah, oh quick let me let me get the camera <laughs> so true yeah. yeah and we found times like we did a trip last year to Aruba and mm-hmm. like we'd split up the days where we'd be like this is a filming day we're gonna get all ready make sure we look good we're not gonna hop in the ocean because we want to keep our hair dry <laughs> like and we're just going to film and we're going to be on our stories. We're going to take all of our photos. We're going to take all of our video. And then the next day, we're just going to swim in the ocean and get wet and get sweaty and not worry about it and not bring the camera and just have time to enjoy it because you really can't do both. Like, yeah. Yeah. You, can't, you can't fully be immersed in a travel experience while you're documenting it. Like, it's mm-hmm. so hard. You really have to set aside time to do both. I mean, definitely the types of content we create, we... You know, it is more, our feed is more curated. It is, Mm -hmm. our stories are very much behind the scenes, but, you know, the photos that we put out on our feed, they're, we want them to be professional. We want, we want the composition of the photo to be good. We want the lighting to be good. We want it to be polished. That's part of our brand. It's our portfolio. So we do want to make sure we're doing a good job with 
those photos and with the video. And so, you know, for jumping in the ocean and taking a quick selfie, that's not the kind of content we're going to be putting out on our feed or on YouTube. That's a good story behind the scenes kind of thing, but we definitely want to carve out the time to do things properly. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Well, that's a part of the work that you do, but also like the artistry that you do. Right. And I think that's something that you don't realize how good pictures are until you see when they're like, oh, wow, that's bad. Like, that's not like, <laughs> yeah. like the lighting's all weird and like, and something that you're, you're so aware of. And I think having to be aware of how do I look? Is this like a yeah. good angle for me? Is the yeah. lighting like, and something that I've really like struggled with is why I like did not go to like acting and Levi did. He's right. all like, I'm great. Of course you'd want to look at me. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I don't, ooh. like, I'll just like point the light over somewhere else. Yeah. But it's, it's so interesting because I think so often, I think especially right now, because we're all spending more time online anyway, yeah. just to feel connected to people, yeah. is that you see these couples, you see people leaving these, you know, leading these incredible lives. And you're like, oh, this relationship is like so perfect. And why can't I have that? And it actually, like, there's a lot of research that has shown that like, consuming those can make you feel really terrible about yourself and so I feel like in some ways what I've also really liked is like the honesty that like you two have and I think that's you found a nice balance where like your stories are like oh yeah we're doing this thing here's Theo looking adorable and I'm like yes great right and just remembering that you are like real people and I like and like you said that you're like this is curated you're like this is our work and so they're having that that balance. I think it's hard for people when that's yeah, not your job right. to realize that. Totally. Yeah, because I come from a modeling background, so I am obviously a perfectionist when it comes to photos and there are certain things that I feel very strongly about with our brand that I want to be polished and professional because mm-hmm. I have a lot of knowledge in that arena. Like, but I also want to make sure that our brand is accessible and like mm-hmm. we've always said from the very beginning that we want people to feel like they can get to know us and reach out and like we want to make real friends. Like we're not here to, you know, gain a bunch of followers and get a bunch of free stuff and be insta famous. Like we genuinely want to build community and we've made so many real friends from Instagram, which we love. And we want to make sure people feel like they are getting to know us and that we're not just a curated feed of polished photos, like that we're real people. And, you know, we have real struggles and real problems and challenges. And we try to talk about our real life, not Mm -hmm. in a way that's like everything is so perfect all the time, but in a way that it is just a real life. And, you know, yeah, finding that balance. I think that's always been really important to us. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think that lends perfectly to like how the three of us are together in a room right now is that like I've been your follower for ages and definitely uh, Levi was like oh you've been following them for ages why didn't you just send them a message I'm like I don't know like will they answer they probably get so many dms I shouldn't (laughs) I love that you reached out and like and the first time we chatted it was just like we can we be friends like I totally feel like we would be friends if we met in real life and I know some people think it's totally weird to meet people off the internet, but we've met so many people at this mm-hmm. point and yeah. have made some real friends and it it's so nice for us because we have always longed for that as well for other for friendships with other queer women. Like mm-hmm. that was one of the reasons why we started building a community, not just for other people but for ourselves too, to be able to mm-hmm. have that and that's been so nice and yeah, we hope everyone always feels comfortable enough to reach out because we always answer and we're always down to like yeah. go grab a beer or whatever it is. Nice. Not during COVID, but <laughs> come to our house and have a distant visit. <laughs> yeah. yeah, some really nice, you know, banana bread. 
the other side of the island, yeah. right? Yeah, and I think that was really special, like, for me, being like, oh my gosh, like, they totally responded, and, like, being willing to, like, to talk about your experience as well, yeah. I think is really valuable, because you're just living your life and you're gonna have your struggles you're gonna have disagreements and you're gonna have days where you feel like shit and days you're like oh my gosh we're the like most amazing power couple ever like those are great days but they're not every day right of course yeah Yeah. days where you don't feel like sharing anything or days Mm -hmm. where you feel like you need a mental break from it or where you just don't feel like being on camera yeah I mean all of that all of that happens yeah definitely well I think like that was like a perfect segue into like community people reaching out to you and I'm like so people will probably reach out to you all the time to ask (laughs) inappropriate questions (laughs) but I'm a professional so I'm gonna ask these inappropriate (laughs) questions we had kind of mentioned uh off camera that like obviously you must get a barrage of like totally inappropriate questions and I can only imagine from like people that have asked me questions it's always like lesbian sex how does this work I'm like oh my god like do you always have sex in like the exact same positions no like there's use your imagination yeah right so I feel like we've gotten some like great questions from people we're we're gonna pick out like some of the best ones but if you were uh, two things lesbian sex do you get asked about it all the time like yes (laughs) I don't see the messages as much. Yeah, so. I go through our inbox more often. Mm. And I also have my own account where I'm out, and I get a lot on that one as well. Right. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. People think it's just this, like, mystical thing that no one understands. And, yeah, mm-hmm. we yeah we do get a lot of questions about it. We also just get, like, so many inappropriate messages. Like, so much sexual harassment. It's just bizarre. Like, so much more than I think anyone would imagine. Like, whenever yeah. we talk about it or post about it, there's always people that are surprised. And mm. I'm just like, how are you surprised that this happens? Yeah. Like, this is just the reality of being A, a woman, and B, a queer woman, and C, like, someone who shares their life online. Yeah. yeah but in terms of the questions, I mean, even friends will ask questions because it's yeah. this mystery world. It's, it is. It's, mm-hmm. yeah, I, for some reason, it's very hard for people to understand. When I first started yeah. dating Steph, because she was my first girlfriend and I had dated men before that, and I had had, yeah, multiple close female friends ask and just genuinely curious I don't think anyone was trying to be disrespectful but that they mm-hmm. were just genuinely curious about like so what do you do like how does it work what do you do in bed and I just thought it was so funny because like mm-hmm. I was new to the whole queer world as well and I was I was new to all of it too but I just thought like I had never wondered that like I just thought what do you think? Like, use your imagination. It's yeah. so obvious to me, but I know it's not obvious it's to everyone. It's almost like people don't understand a world of sex that doesn't involve a penis. I think that's mm. ultimately what it comes down yeah. to. Like, yeah, we were talking about this yesterday and just how the whole world is revolves around men and it's centered around men. And obviously the whole narrative around sex is centered around men as well. Mm. Men and male pleasure. And of course, it's hard for people to understand, even in context with a man it's hard for them to understand female pleasure there's so Mm -hmm. much stigma still for some reason around that so when you take a penis out of the equation entirely it's even more well how does that work Mm -hmm. yeah (laughs) i can find like it's um i'll I'll, I'll get a little nerdy on you for a second but like as a as a part of my phd you have to do a whole like theoretical framework and so i talk a lot about like sexual scripts and so Mm -hmm. from a young age you're taught you know, like, this is how you're supposed to behave, especially in terms of, like, gender behavior. Yeah. And that totally tells us how we're supposed to behave sexually. Yeah. And a lot of the time, you're right, like, it's totally centered around the penis. And so I even remember, like, the first time that, like, I had sex with another woman, I was like, 
okay, so so <laughs> what do we do now? Because like you're so used to like, okay, we're gonna make out, maybe we'll yeah. like touch each other a bit, and then pee in the V. Like that's yeah. that's yeah. what happens, yeah. right? Yeah. Right? And I'm like, did I have an orgasm? No. Did the penis go in the vagina? Oh, I guess it was sex. I'm like, no, <laughs> no, no. And so... It's, it's such a reframing. Yeah. Of, right? Yeah. Absolutely. Of what sex is. Yeah. And framing it around, like, pleasure. Wouldn't that just be, like, depending on what you want each day and right. what that would look yeah. like for the two of you? Yeah. And so I always find it interesting. People are like, one of the questions that I get a lot too is, do I have to buy anything special to have lesbian sex? I'm like, well, no. I'm like, anyone can buy toys. This is regardless of anatomy. If you would like to buy toys, excellent, right? But I actually had someone ask me, and again, if you do not want to answer this, that's (laughs) totally fine. But one of my followers was like, so strap-ons. There's a debate about like, is this really demeaning? Is this something that you really enjoy? And there's this whole thing about like, oh, but you're like missing the penis. This is all bunny ears around missing the penis, people. Oh yeah, you can't see them, but they are here. So I don't know, opinions on like strap, you don't have to tell me about your personal experience, but like, what are your thoughts? Well, I mean, this is the thing. It's it's obviously going to be very personal for everyone and every couple and every relationship. But I mean... I think it all just comes down to whether or not you enjoy penetration and mm-hmm. in what form. So if, you know, if that works for the person receiving and for the person wearing, there's a whole dynamic to that as well, mm-hmm. um, then great. If it doesn't, don't use it. Uh, it's yeah. definitely by no means a prerequisite for lesbian sex. And I also yeah. don't think it says anything about not being gay or missing a penis. Mm-hmm. I don't think that that's true. I mean... Yeah, we, full disclosure, don't have a lot of experience with that. We, <laughs> that's not personally a part of our of our sex life, but, so I wouldn't consider myself an expert at all. I think I've asked you before, like, what do you think, mo- like, what is, like, normal, again, air quotes, for other queer women? I mean, I, we only know what we do, right? Mm-hmm. I, I don't know how common that is or every couple it's, is, and every individual is so different. Well, that's mm-hmm. the thing, too. I we haven't had a lot of conversations with other queer women about specifics in their sexual relationships. And, Mm. and I think that's quite common. I think a lot of queer women are very quiet about those kinds of conversations. So yeah, yeah, I'd be pretty interested to know what other people <laughs> we do. We should take but a poll. We should take Can a poll. Can we take a we poll on poll Because, you know, we're, we're just yes guessing, right? We, yeah. You know, yeah. we know what works for us, and but we don't know what works for other people. So yeah. it's all very yeah. personal. No, I really like I like how like both of you frame that. You're like, obviously, it's going to be different for each so person. Different. But yeah. then also, like, it's about, like, penetration. This isn't about, like, penis envy or whatever. Exactly. Right? And. Yeah debating if I'm going to keep this part I'm going to say something we'll see (laughs) right but as someone who has like worn a strap on you're like clearly like yeah I get it that it's designed to like look like a penis it's not a penis like it's a very like different thing and in that exchange exchange why do I make that sound like (laughs) in this sexual encounter (laughs) it was really like quite like powerful in a lot of ways and just really like pleasurable like for both of us that's so interesting i can definitely see how that's part of it too it's it's for the person who's receiving and for the person who is wearing it because it is a very it's very much um yeah it's i'm assuming it's powerful Mm -hmm. and it's right it makes you feel a certain way to wear it as well so right i can see you know from both sides how it would be beneficial yeah, I feel like now I want to ask you all about strap-ons. You don't <laughs> have to leave it in, but I'm, now so, I'm so curious. This will be yeah. behind the scenes that uh, you don't get to hear listeners, not quite yet. <laughs> I 
feel like you answered that one. Oh, okay. I really like this question. Uh, any tips for completely inexperienced lesbians? Yeah, I like that question too because mm. I'm sure it's so common. Mm. And I think the biggest thing is to just try not to be intimidated because it's really, at the end of the day, lesbian sex is just sex. It's mm. all just sex. It's not really any different. And yeah, it's not like a big to do. Like, there doesn't have to be a lot of equipment involved. It doesn't mm. have to, you know, it's just. It's whatever you and the other person are comfortable doing, want to do. And I think practicing communicating and feeling Mm. comfortable expressing what you are comfortable with and what you enjoy Mm. is really important. Absolutely. I think being comfortable asking your partner what they enjoy and communicating what you enjoy. And if you don't know what you enjoy, exploring your own body is a great way to to start. My first sexual experience with uh, a woman in high school, I was shocked that she knew exactly what she wanted and she told me what she wanted. And I thought that was great because I had no idea what I was doing. <laughs> and I asked her, I said, how do you know How do you know what you want? How do you know what to do? And she said, well, this is what I do to myself. And it was so simple, and, <laughs> but it blew my mind. <laughs> okay, so the best advice is masturbate so then when you can when you're actually like in that experience you can be like this is what i like and you know what i always find interesting too is like okay should i learn this like certain like trick like how do i go down on someone i'm like you know who's gonna have the best advice about the clitoris that you're going to person who owns that clitoris everyone is so different so different i mean Mm -hmm. even when we started dating yeah i remember thinking a lot about okay well i know what i like but that doesn't mean that that's gonna be what you like and we like very different things. And so that was a learning experience for both of us. When our bodies are different. Yeah, I mean, Mm -hmm. and everyone's, like, everyone's are. I don't think any two people with a vulva are going to enjoy the exact same thing. Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, all partners, regardless of orientation or genitalia or anything, everyone should just be able to express what it is that they enjoy. I mean, that, I think, Mm -hmm. is the secret to good sex. And it's, yeah, it's exactly the same with with lesbian sex, air quotes again. It's just... (laughs) Yeah, good communication and try not to be intimidated because I don't, it's not, it's not scary. It's not, yeah. you know. <laughs> yeah, it should be exciting. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Absolutely. Mm. That was great. It's also great to like have listeners hear someone else say, great communication leads to great sex. I'm like, it's not just me. I didn't even pay them to say that, right? <laughs> they just know. <laughs> For some reason, I always have to look at the microphone when I'm addressing the callers. I'm like, just so you know, listeners, right now, I'll use a different voice when I'm talking to you. <laughs> so you know I'm addressing you. <laughs> That's great. Um, what is the most difficult aspect about being gay and being out? Yeah, I think, I mean, first it's important to just acknowledge how much privilege we have as gay women Definitely. that are out because... We live in Canada, we're able to be legally married, we have so many, we have all the equal rights, and we're both straight passing, we're more feminine, like, there are so many things that just lead to us not having a difficult experience, and -hmm. I think that's important to acknowledge. Obviously, we still deal with homophobia, and the most that we deal with is online. I'd say Mm -hmm. we rarely ever have to deal with harassment or anything like that in real life. Mm-hmm. We deal with most of it online, and we know that that's just something that comes with sharing our life online. And anytime we have experienced it in real life, it hasn't felt dangerous, hasn't felt 
Yeah. Like we were in any physical harm. Mm. Um, and there are so many queer people who genuinely fear for their lives on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. And we don't have that experience. And that's so important to acknowledge. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. But I mean, I think any queer person, it's, it's such a journey. Mm-hmm. The coming out experience, it can be, even if you have a super supportive family, a super supportive community around you, there are just still so many things that you deal with, whether it's internalized homophobia. You've talked a lot about experiencing that during your coming out. And it's such a process. It's such a journey. I really think it's like a lifelong process that you go mm-hmm. through. I came out 10 years ago now, and there are still so many things that I'm unpacking and going through when it comes to my career identity. And I mean, I don't consider that a burden in any way. It, mm-hmm. it is difficult. It is, I guess, a hard part about being queer, but it also leads to so much self-reflection and so much personal growth that I'm still grateful for it, if Mm -hmm. that makes sense. Yeah, you definitely don't realize all the layers to all the things you learned as a kid. That you internalized. That you internalized. And, you know, little things that people would say or, you know, ways that girls and boys are treated or, you know, all sorts of things that you, you just start to kind of bank and put away and when you really start to when you really start to self-reflect as an adult and you understand where all these feelings about things came from it i'm not sure how to articulate this no, i know what you mean i mean it's not being gay that's hard it's the society that we live in that makes it hard you know what i mean yeah. like i would never yeah. change the fact that i'm gay i love being gay and there's nothing hard about it there's nothing difficult about it it's a society that we live in that makes it difficult. It's being a part of an oppressed, marginalized group that makes it hard. Those are the things that make it hard. And we don't even experience most of the things that make it hard for other members of our community. Yeah. Right. I think, gro- I think growing up, at, with being the age we are, growing up we didn't have these great representations of the LGBT community. Mm-hmm. You know, we didn't turn on Netflix and have... 20 different shows with amazingly full fleshed out characters that were, yeah. you know, we just didn't have that. Yeah. And I can't imagine what it's like for younger people growing up now getting to see that. I'm sure yeah. there's still other things going on that they ha- they're going to have to deal with, but that would have been huge. Oh, yeah. yeah. And that's some, one of the things that we feel so strongly about in being visible, both in real life and online, mm-hmm. is being that representation that we never had. I never mm-hmm. saw a woman who looked like me who was feminine or who worked in the industry that I worked in, who was openly gay. I didn't even realize it was an option that I could be gay until I met you and I was 21 years old. I had never met a gay woman before. I didn't know any gay women other than maybe Ellen, who I don't relate to. You know what I mean? Like it, that was such a big part of my coming out experience that, yeah, if we can be representation for someone else, that's such Mm -hmm. a huge part of our goal with let's see the world is to be the representation that we never had. Mm-hmm. Definitely. You know, I, I find that so interesting because the in previous episodes, I so I talked to um, Percy and I talked to Clary and, and they're a queer couple and mm-hmm. talking to them about, you know, Percy's did uh, their research all about trans birth care in Canada and then Clary is an invisible illness advocate. And talking about how in their own work, you know, they're talking about trans rights, but they're also, you know, queer women. And yeah. then... Also, um, Clary talking about, she's like, well, I'm a black woman and I'm disabled and I have an invisible illness and talking about how these are not my struggles. My struggles is how society has framed these things for me. So the way that you said that, I was like, 
Yes, exactly. And I, and I feel like so often you hear stories, it's like a, um, a deficit model. And that's something I, I talked to Percy and Clary about as well. But it's like, well, you know, you're so proud of people for like overcoming all of this hardship in your life. You're like, but what about queer joy? Can we like celebrate yeah. that? Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's what's been so great for me to like, you know, been following the two of you for a while because it's so obvious that like you have like a really like special relationship and that you really love the life that you've built together. And so it's, it feels yeah. like it's celebrating yeah. queer joy without like specifically labeling it that. It's just yeah. like, this is that. also normal. Being happy yes. is also, this is very normal. And being able to show young queer people who are, you know, grappling with their identity, being able to show them that they can grow up, have a healthy relationship and succeed in life and have a good career and travel and do all these things because some people think it's a death sentence. They think it's the right. end of the world. Right. Like it's, they want anything but to be queer. Like they don't, mm -hmm. they don't think they can grow up and have a happy life. And that is so heartbreaking to me. Like I never mm -hmm. had that experience. I, I knew that, you know, because again, because we have so many privileges, I never thought it was going to negatively impact my life. Mm -hmm. And that's just not the case for so many people. So if we can show people that, you know, it's still possible to live a happy life and succeed and, travel and own a business and do all these things like I just mm. I just want to be that for people I just want to show mm. them that yeah I get emotional <laughs> mm. okay. well I think that leads into this is another good fan question about how did you both know that you were in love I mean, I think, well, I knew right away. It just, it just, I mean, it sounds cliche, but it just felt right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's the you whole know, when I, you know, you know. And yeah, I had been in other relationships before that there were, there were struggles with communication. There were struggles with, you know, being on the same page with major things in life. And mm -hmm. I think before we really knew that we were on the same page when it comes to big life decisions and, and you know, motivation and passions and things like that, we just I don't know it felt it felt right it felt yeah we had the the friendship level and we also had the romantic side the physical side yeah I don't know <laughs> yeah I mean for me like I grew up always knowing that I was attracted to women I didn't know that that meant I was gay I still dated men and I just expected that I was also attracted to men because as women we're just taught that that's the default that we just are attracted to men and if we're attracted to women that's like in addition to being attracted to men <laughs> so right. I didn't I didn't know I was gay until I met Steph because I had never had feelings for a woman before and meeting you was the first time that it was the whole package like I was physically attracted to you I felt connected to you on like a friend level but I also had romantic feelings for you and it was all of it and I had never experienced that before I had never experienced it with men and I had never experienced it with another woman and it was just kind of like that light bulb moment that so many queer people talk about of just like oh like this is what it's supposed to feel like like mm -hmm. this is what love is and it just yeah it just felt right it just felt easy yeah. it just felt like you know, the thing that everyone's looking for. And it's like, oh, yeah, this just makes sense now. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I think our relationship started out so like, it started out so organically because in previous relationships that I'd had, it was a situation of being at school and, oh, there's one other, there's a gay girl on the basketball team. <laughs> like, okay. Well, I guess let's, let's date you know? now. <laughs> and I was, I felt myself trying to make things work because that was there was a person there that was gay and 
I mean, obviously a relationship's not going to work out if you're trying to make something work just because they're the only person there. Mm-hmm. So yeah. the way we met was very much, you know, we didn't meet online. We met in, we met at a dance studio. She was one of the instructors and I was taking classes and I obviously was physically attracted immediately, but when we started to get to know each other, I kind of thought, "Uh oh, I'm in trouble because (laughs) I'm going to have a massive crush on this girl and she's not going to be able to reciprocate my feelings. Luckily she did. And it all worked out. (laughs) Spoiler alert. We've been together for 10 years. (laughs) Still making sure. Still want to make sure. Um, Yeah. So it just, it, I wasn't trying to make something work that I didn't think was going to work. I, I, was just putting myself out there and yeah (laughs) it's blatantly obvious like sitting here 10 years later like (laughs) that it's still just like very much apparent and I think what's really beautiful about that as well and it's something that we I feel like maybe we don't talk about enough in like romantic relationships is clearly you have so much like respect for each other and like holding space as soon as like one of you say something and you'll like look and be like is that about what, what, like, we have felt to say, it's your turn now. I'm holding space for now you to speak. It's just, it's a really beautiful thing to, to witness, right? And, like, you know, if you're in a romantic relationship, if you're friends, if you're colleagues, how how nice would that be if we could just hold that space for each other to be like, yeah. would you like to be heard now? Excellent. But clearly there's a whole other level here, which is, like, it's just, like, oh, man, I'm such a romantic. I'm like, oh. <laughs> That's great. Um gosh um i don't i really like these other questions but i feel like that's just like a beautiful way to wrap it together i know i'm gonna ask like is there anything else like you you want people to like know about the two of you about the work that you do or questions you have for me anything i don't know i mean first like i don't even think we said thank you so much for having us on your podcast it's so exciting and as soon as you reached out and I read your initial email. I was like, Steph, did you read this? Like, she this is so cool. Like, everything you're doing, it was just so right up our alley. And we were so excited to connect with you. Mm-hmm. And after chatting the first time, too, like, it's like, I want to be friends with them. Yeah. <laughs> it's so cool that, like, you live close by. And, yeah, I mean, we want to meet Levi, too, and be your friends. And um, and also listening you. to previous episodes and yeah. how inclusive and accessible yeah. everything is and yeah, yeah, it, we love the work that you're doing. So. Yeah, so thank <laughs> you so much. <laughs> We're all crying over here. <laughs> it's just like a big love fest. <laughs> so excited to share it. I hope you enjoy this. I loved it. <laughs> thank you so much for joining me today and listening to the Love Doctor podcast. You can check out Steph and Caitlin on Instagram at Les See the World and also their blog under the same name. Of course, their information will be shared in the episode description. And if you have questions that you want to ask, send me a voice memo to thelovedoctorpodcast at gmail.com. And you know me, I'm going to do my darndest to get it on the show. You can also check me out on Instagram or Twitter. And if you like what you're hearing, don't forget to leave a review. Till then, folks, stay healthy, stay safe, stay consensual.